Justin Shears and welcome to Only a Northern Song. In this series, I'll be exploring the words and the music of the Beatles, but not through the usual tracks that we all know so well. I'll be delving into my extensive collection of outtakes, home recordings and demos, alternate mixes and interviews, to shed some new light on lesser known aspects of the Beatles' recorded legacy. It is said that inspiration can strike at any moment. Every idea has to start somewhere, but is usually sparked by another idea. Musical innovations are obviously no different. A sound from nature, a painting, a word, a poem, an utterance from a loved one could be all it takes for a song to be born. And clearly, the more we're familiar with music, the easier it is for new pieces to emerge from those existing. So it was for the last track to be started for the Beatles' Abbey Road LP. The next track is as old song of yours, John. It's called Because, and yeah. I, I seem to detect some sort of classic overtone in this. Is this by design or? Yeah, sort of, you know. Uh, Yoko plays classical piano and she was playing one day and uh, I don't know whether it was Beethoven or something. I said, give me them chords backwards. <laughs> and I wrote Because on it, on top of it. Because uh, on this one, it's John's song again, and there's, there's no percussion on this one. It's all um, guitars, piano, and strings and things like that. You know, there's no heavy percussion at all, and uh, lots of voices, harmonies.
That's harpsichord, Jeff. From the evening of Friday the 1st of August 1969, take one of Because, John's Beethoven-inspired track which would eventually feature on side two of the Abbey Road album. While not quite the classical chords in reverse, the structure is similar. The backing track featured George Martin playing a Baldwin spinet electric harpsichord, John the repeated electric guitar arpeggios, and Paul on bass all held together, of course, by Ringo tapping out the beat on his legs. 23 takes in all were captured on tape, with 16 being marked as best. Later the same evening, the band began laying down the vocals, containing some words which would raise a few eyebrows amongst the music establishment. Uh, and I like because on the second side. Why did you use the lyric, turn me on and blow my mind in that particular song? I, I rather felt that sounded a bit passe in 1969 because it's been used so much in the past. Yes, well, they, they were John's lyrics. <laughs> but I think, you know, if they'd have been straight, yeah, so I'm not taking any blame, but no. Uh, if they'd have been used just straight, if it had been you turn me on, you blow my mind, okay, that would have been passe. But to say that because the world is round, it turns me on. It's great. Yes, it's I like see. well, it's not mm. fantastic, but it's no. as, it's as good as that, good enough for me, you know. That, yeah. And it, because the wind is high, it blows my mind. Yeah. You know, it's much better than be, you blow my mind, baby, honey bunch. The Beatles returned to the song after the weekend, with the exquisite three-part harmony vocal overdubs completed on Monday, the fourth of July. Because is one of the most beautiful tunes, and I think. It's three-part harmony. John, Paul and George all sing it together. Oh, yeah, yeah. John wrote this tune. It's a bit like the backing's a bit like Beethoven. Mm -hmm. And uh, three-part harmony right throughout. It sounds very much like a Paul McCartney song rather than John. As, as yeah, past, well... Know. Yeah, because of the sweetness of it. Paul usually writes the sweeter tunes and John writes the sort of more the rave-up things or the freakier things, mm -hmm. but... This is the thing, you know, John gets into where he doesn't want to, you know, he just wants to write 12 bars. Mm. But you can't deny, I think this is possibly my favourite one on the album because it's, it's just so simple, the lyrics are so simple, the harmony was pretty difficult to sing it. We, you know, had to really learn it. But um, that's, I think that's one of the tunes that will impress most people, you know, like hip people will dig it too, mm. but straight through all the straight people will dig it and the music people will dig it, you know, it's really good. And the harmony structure is also um, slightly different from the, some of the, uh, the harmonies that you've used in recording before. I wouldn't know, you know, I mean, I just asked George Martin or whoever's around saying, uh, what's the, the alternative to thirds and fifths, they're the only ones I know, and he plays them on the piano and says, oh, we'll have that one, you know. So I couldn't tell you what they are, I just know it's harmony. And right, well, this is also a very long song, isn't it? It isn't, you know, it's only, it's amazing, it's, it's the shortest one on the album, it's only about two minutes, something. Oh, oh well, of course, it sort of gets into the, uh, I get, yeah, I get, it stops, and then he goes into the long, the, the medley. Ah, right. Yeah. Oh, right. My favourite one is, I think, Because. Oh, yeah. Just because I like three-part harmony, we've never done something like that for years, I think, since a B-side. And you were red tonight. 
Remember what I said tonight. So I like that. three-part harmonies recorded three times, effectively adding nine voices to take 16 of Because. While these vocals could have capped the song perfectly as they were, the Beatles had other ideas, and the song would be augmented in quite a modern way in just a couple of days' time. At the end of this same session, George Harrison nipped into the control room of Studio 3 to ask engineers Phil McDonald and Alan Parsons to quickly mix his two tracks, Here Comes the Sun and Something, to acetate, suggesting the desire for further overdubs. George Martin took away the acetate of something to write an orchestral score. Always the innovators the Beatles were quick to embrace new musical technology. Having heavily utilised the Mellotron during the Strawberry Fields and Sgt Pepper era, the next logical progression was the brand new electronic instrument named after its inventor, Dr Robert Moog. A precursor to the modern synthesizer, the 1968 Moog 3P caught the attention of George Harrison, who bought one in early 1969 and had in fact recorded a whole album with it, aptly titled Electronic Sound, which had been released on the Beatles' avant-garde label Zappel in May that year. 
By manipulating a collection of differently shaped sound waves, musical sounds could be created which sounded similar to traditional instruments, but with a space-age electronic edge. Let me try and show you how we get some of these sounds. First of all, none of them exist as a particular sound, as they would on an electronic organ. There's no magic button marked trumpet or violin or drums. You have to build every sound. And to start to build these sounds, you have to start with something pretty simple. And here are the simple things we start with. There are five of them. The simplest one of all is something that any lab technician must have seen at one time or another. It's called a sine wave. It's very smooth, very flute-like. A little bit more complicated wave is called sawtooth. And it's called sawtooth because on an oscilloscope screen it looks just like a sawtooth. And uh, this one is a little richer, a little reedier, and it resembles a lot of sounds found on home electronic organs. Something in between those last two, and a very useful sound indeed, is something called triangular, and it's kind of a pointed sine wave. So you can see it's a little brighter than a sine wave. Um, this one's called pulse wave, and I'm just going to show you how it swings into a thing called square wave. It's uh, up, down, up, down, just like a switch. If you flip a switch, you're making a pulse wave. If it's an even off, on, off, on, then it looks on an oscilloscope very symmetrical, and it's called a square wave. And if I take the time that it's on and make it different from the time that it's off, it changes quality. Listen to it. Shifts interior. It's a very useful sound. The last of which uh, is probably the least useful, although you'd never want to be without it. It's very colorful, very coloristic. In its pure form, it sounds like surf or a steam sound. It's called white noise. can be speeded up till we almost start hearing a plucked string. And uh, I think the best way to show this is a little excerpt. You'll hear a trumpet imitation solo, and then you'll hear several of these put together to show the feeling of an ensemble. And they were all built with the refinement of this thing that I've just shown you now. ensemble. John, will you speak about playing the uh, Moog synthesizer? I understand that there are, there are, or is it like a state? robot who, who gets it together? Yeah, George can work it a bit, you know. I mean, uh, it'll take you all your life to learn all the, the variations on it. But uh, George has got one, and uh, a few people in England have got them, and they just sort of experimented with them. He used it on uh, Billy Preston LP, and he also plays the, the solo in guitars, and uh, I think in Maxwell it comes in too. It's here and there on the album. Yeah. So it's a matter of just sort of phasing it out to the sort of music you're doing at the time, is it? Or? Yes, yes. You, you can make it play anything, you know, any style, any you know, freaky or just plain, you know, it sounds like trumpets and things yeah. if you wanted to. Can, can it in fact be uh, sort of set to play a particular pattern? Yeah, I think, it, sort of... I think it just can go off on its own, you know. <laughs> I mean, you could get it to play Ari Krishna on its own forever, you know, and see what happens to it. Yeah, well, it's <laughs> frightening prospects of a Moog synthesizer concert at some point. Yeah, well, I mean, that would be a, the, 
a great pastor going to band, you know, with a moose inside. just went on and sang and played everything on his own. Because I suppose, you know, technically the notes would be all perfect anyhow, wouldn't they? Yeah. Yeah, they just need one guy to switch it on. And then leave and yeah. go and collect the tickets on the door. Yeah. <laughs> George had his Moog synthesizer trucked to Abbey Road Studios. Yes, there were fairly large units in those days and had it set up in a small space called Room 43, which was then patched through a mono cable to whichever studio they were working in. Over the next few days, a little bit of Moog music would be added to augment a handful of tracks, starting with Because on the 5th of August. Maxwell's Silver Hammer was next on the 6th. She's So Heavy received a white noise overdub, courtesy of George's Moog synthesizer on the 8th of August. I want you, she's so heavy. Um, correct. Right. It's, I suppose it is the heaviest track on the LP. If we're going to get into that, uh, yeah, bagism, is it? Yeah. <laughs> it's pretty heavy, the ending, you know. Uh, could we use the Moog synthesizer on it? Oh, that's, that's what all that yes, yeah, is. The range of the sound is from, you know, minus whatever to way over where you can't hear it, you know, that the, that machine, the Moog synthesizer can, yeah. can do all sounds, you know, all ranges of sounds, so we did that on the end, so if you're a dog, you could hear a lot more. Only dogs, I think, will get this together. Yeah. 
And then the man who introduced the synthesizer to his bandmates actually got to add it to one of his own songs when Here Comes the Sun was given the Moog treatment on the 19th of August. You know, I had that synthesizer and oh, it's... Yeah. Um, that's one of the tunes we use synthesizer on, which is pretty effective on this. With its subtle additions, the Moog added a little bit of atmosphere to this handful of Beatles tracks, a cutting-edge sound for the summer of 1969. If we roll the tape back to the 11th of August, we would have heard George adding an electric guitar break into the middle of Here Comes the Sun, something that was forgotten about until the tapes were dusted off and played for the 50th anniversary remix in 2019.
take 15 of Here Comes the Sun with an unused guitar solo recorded on the 11th of August. Of course, this segment would eventually be replaced with the harmonies of Sun 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 Here It Comes and some strident hand claps. If the Beatles had added their own special touches to this handful of tracks with the Moog synthesizer, George Martin was equal to the task when asked to score orchestral parts to add some punch to the album. The 15th of August saw Studios 1 and 2 linked via closed-circuit television so that the technicians in Studio 2 could see what was going on in Studio 1, where up to 30 musicians played George Martin's immaculate arrangements for four songs, beginning with overdubs on to take 17 of Golden Slumber's Carry That Weight.
Next cab off the rank was the relatively short edit piece on to take seven of the end, which actually utilized the most musicians of all the four tracks recorded this day. After a break, the musicians returned to add an exquisite string arrangement to take 39 of George's something. And to round out the evening, finishing around 1.15am, the final touches were added to take 15 of Here Comes the Sun.
next 10 days was spent adding the finishing touches to a few of the tracks, mixing and editing, crossfading and sequencing, preparing the new collection of songs for its introduction to the world. As mixing continued throughout August, a decision was made to alter the long one, the medley which had come to form such an important part of the album. It was felt that Her Majesty, Paul's throwaway acoustic track, didn't sit well in the middle of the other songs. Paul simply said to cut it out of the master tape and throw it away. Second engineer John Curlander, who'd been trained to never throw anything away, simply excised the offending song with a blade, left about 20 seconds of blank tape on the end of the medley, and dutifully reattached Her Majesty to the tape, just in case. When Paul and others heard the playback, including the large silent space after the end, they were startled by the sudden explosion of Her Majesty through the studio speakers. Paul liked the happy accident, and it was left in, complete with the seconds of silence before it. The quality of the edit was poor, retaining the last crashing note of Mean Mr Mustard and missing the last chord of Her Majesty. The world's first secret track, which would become such a feature of the CD age, was born. Her Majesty's a pretty nice girl, but she doesn't have a lot to say. Her Majesty's a pretty nice girl, but she changes from day to day. I want to tell her that I love her a lot, but I gotta get a belly full of wine. Her Majesty's a pretty nice girl, someday I'm gonna make a mine, oh yeah, someday I'm gonna make a mine. Final mixes were made by the 25th of August 1969, the first Beatles album to be mixed purely in stereo with no mono mix ever made. It was to be their last hurrah, a high quality album which would become a firm fan favourite for decades to come. But as we all know, every album needs a title, and there were a few ideas being kicked around. Well, that's it for this episode. Join us next time as the Beatles complete their new LP and rumours begin to circulate about the untimely demise of a Beatle. Until next time. Here comes the sun, I say, 
It's alright. 